And what we're trying to do here in Pensacola is just create a lab, but we don't want to be the only lab. You know, we want Beloit, Wisconsin to be a lab and Janesville, Wisconsin to be a lab. And, you know, all these places we do, Odessa, Texas to be a lab. Because if we're to make America just a wonderful place, we've got to make every community a wonderful place. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions that we can take to improve workplace culture and achieve results. And they're all aligned to our nine principles for organizational excellence. Joining me again today is Quint Studer back on our show to talk about his experience with education, healthcare, and communities. And today, Quint's going to talk about communities and how his life work is now transitioned into helping our local community that then helps transform communities around the world. Quint will also be joining us on October 27th and 28th for our virtual Quintessential event. We hope you'll join us there. And to learn more about our virtual events, visit studereducation.com slash events. Now, to continue with Quint's story from episodes 122 and 124, Purpose, Worthwhile Work, and Making a Difference. We'll start with another one of Quint's life transitions. As you shifted at a student group, and even while you were at student group in the Pensacola community, you've become a community advocate. You know, tell us, tell us why becoming that community advocate was so important to you. Well, I think the main thing is if you want to become a community advocate, you don't know you're becoming one because it's so hard. You know, I remember early student group days, Marto Sullivan, who worked with me forever, an accountant, said, could you ever do for communities what you do for hospitals? I said, never. I said, it's hard enough in healthcare and education. At least you get to set the goals, train people, select people, and fire people. And you can't do that very well in a community. And then what happened was, we had Hurricane Ivan. I wasn't even on the to-do list. I was a afterthought. A group was meeting about how to recover, and they started studying cities. And I just got really lucky right before that, and probably many people might not know this story. Jim Clifton had contacted me about Gallup was interested in purchasing the student group because he saw hospitals we worked with mm-hmm. perform better than those we didn't. So I went to Washington, D.C. What a gift to meet Jim Clifton, the chairman of the board of Gallup. And we were talking about healthcare. We wanted to create a dashboard and what we could do. And then he just said they had just done the, stu- the biggest study ever on why some communities thrive and some don't. Because I would have fallen into the trap. I thought the Sun Belt or this or that. So he had a white paper called Soul of the City. And so he gave me that paper. And so those two things happen. I got this paper. I'm reading it. Hurricane Ivan comes and I get invited to this meeting. And it just hit me that you know, according to what Gallup says, and I agree with it, it's not location, it's it's community people taking ownership and controlling their destiny and not depending on the government. So I got involved not knowing, I w- here I am a special ed teacher and a healthcare people and people can be angry at you, but they don't, they're not mean. Well, you start doing community work, it can get really emotional and, and mean. But again, I think that background in healthcare and education helped me because you know, when you're dealing with a, a child, it's, it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean parents are easy. So why do we keep doing it? I mean, wouldn't just someday like to say to a kid, you're fired, get out of here. Or, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you, you keep going because your values don't want you to give up. The, the same thing in healthcare. If we feel it's the right thing to do, we keep doing it. So 
you know, got involved. And then again, I'm, I'm a researcher. It comes back from my special ed. So you start diagnosing. So then I um, said, well, how do you build great cities? I, uh, you look at them. I went to Asheville. I went to Savannah. I went to Portland, Maine. And I also ran into a fellow in Pittsburgh named Ray Gindros. And Ray Gindros was sort of from urban design. So I bring them to Pensacola. So I started like I do all the things. I, I first collect intellectual capital and then you sort of learn. And what, what I learned is you need something that brings a lot of people downtown on a regular basis. You have to have a great intersection if you want. And it's all about keeping talent home. So it's the key messaging here when I go to communities today, Janet, is not, oh, do you want a great downtown or do you want this? What do you really want? And, and Jim Clifton wrote a book later based on his Soul of the City called The Coming Jobs War. It's all about talent. Well, if you want talent, you got to have a great place for them to work and a great place for them to sort of play, enjoy. So the four things we look at is how do you program a community to keep it active? How do you make sure you have good retail, shopping, entertainment options? How do you um, make sure you have good office space and then make sure you have neat, diverse places for people to live? And if you hit those four things, you can really go. Then we got a little more sophisticated, you know, into, well, that's talent for today. How do you get talent for the future as you get them ready for kindergarten? And the number one economic indicator of the future is kindergarten readiness. And that's why I think public schools get beat up a lot that they shouldn't. Because if a teacher doesn't have a child ready for kindergarten, they're doing a lot of heavy lifting. So when I go to communities, I think this education system sees a sense of relief because I get everybody focused <laughs> on, you know, what are we doing before the kid gets? And it's not VPK. If 85% of the brain is developed by age three, it's zero to three. And then of course we get into the hospital. So I think that does it. That's hard work. But I tell people, people say, well, you went to Pensacola and you fell in love with Pensacola. No, you fall in love with the community you're in. And yeah. if you don't love the community, then go find another. And I tell people, I said, you know how silly you look when you're ripping your own town you live in? Yeah, no makes kidding. You, makes you look really stupid if you're ripping where you, where you live. And that's what I love. You know, today I was on a phone call with people from Columbia, Mississippi, Hot Springs, Arkansas. Chillicothe, Ohio, Stewart, Florida, Martin County, Florida, Elkins, West Virginia, Springfield, Ohio. And we're on this phone call. And what I love about these communities, these people love their community. Yeah. And they sometimes just don't know what to do to get it to the next level because they've sort of been beat up. They've lost so much talent. So my whole goal is to help communities keep their talent home, get their talent back and attract some new talent. And and that, but it gets, I mean, it's still the same. You know, it's beautiful. Every community I go to, then I show up at the hospital and spend a little time there and yeah. have a good, because the hospital is such a key, and the hospital Absolutely. wins here, Janet. The hospital wins because they, one, create a better payer mix someday if their kids do better in school and they get talent. Because isn't that what we want? We want talent. So that's, mm -hmm. it's, it's like anything. You, you, you get into something. It's like you just keep learning. It's peeling the onion. You learn more and more and more. So yeah, it's sort of interesting. Jim Fallows of the Atlantic, I talked to him this week. And you know, he says, Quint, he wrote a book called Our Towns. He goes, everybody I talk to, I tell them about Pensacola. I was just talking to the Rockefeller Foundation and talking about what you guys are doing in civic engagement and how you're engaging the community. Okay. So, you know, just like with Baptist, we tried to create that lab. 
And what we're trying to do here in Pensacola is just create a lab, but we don't want to be the only lab. You know, we want Beloit, Wisconsin to be a lab and Janesville, Wisconsin to be a lab. And, you know, all these places we do, Odessa, Texas to be a lab. Because if we're to make America just a wonderful place, we've got to make every community a wonderful place. Yeah. And Quint, you know, I know you're going to have a, a day at Destination High Performance to talk more about communities and our, our audience. Most of them are going to get the, you know, your book, Vibrant Communities. And so I know you've chronicled, you know, the, many of what things of what you're talking about today, you know, in that book. So is that what led you to, to write that book is just your experiences and how to help people? No, what, what made me write the book was Dottie DeHart. Dottie <laughs> yeah. Does my book said, you should write another book. And I, always, I, in fact, I have another book right now I want to write. And she said, um, I thought she meant Busy Leader Handbook because I've been writing all these columns that I wanted to combine into a book. Mm-hmm. So I thought Busy Leader Handbook. And she said, no, uh, how to grow a community. And I said, oh, Dottie, I mean, there's all these urban planners. There's all these academias. There's the Yale Atlanta, and Atlanta. There's all these really smart people who I love and I've read and learned from. And she said, yeah, they're great books, but nobody's ever written a book that sort of actually has been in it. You know, I went through a referendum. You go through the pushback. You go through the people that are virtually against everything. And, um, and so you go through that. And, and it's been really wonderful because I think, first of all, it just gets people hungry to read those other books. But even today, we, we just got an agreement to go into clean Texas because an, an urban planning company said, we can help them with the plan, mm. but you can really help them get the community engaged and involved. Because it's usually not the plan that every community has plans. I always say to them, if you don't have a stepladder, just go to yeah. City Hall, get all the plans and stack them up yeah. and climb up. It's not the plans we're missing. Yeah. It's the execution because it's so dang hard. But yes. I do think we have a formula. It's still hard, mm-hmm. but it's not as hard and it's, it's doable. And I think that's what people love about the book. And I think what educators like about it is it really does. The foreword is written by John List, the chair of the economics department at the University of Chicago. And I didn't tell him what to write. I just gave him the book. Do you know the thing he focused in the most was getting kids ready for kindergarten? Hmm. And, and I think if we're going to have a great public education system, we have to give these educators a person that is at their optimum mental capacity to learn. Yeah. And if 80, 85% of the cognitive, and this is, this is neuroscience stuff. Carolyn Hendrick from Vanderbilt, I was with her last week in Beloit, and she trained at University of Chicago. This, this is not just talking a game. This is neuroscience statistics that show 80 to 85% of the brain is grown by age three. So if we're going to give these ed- public educators the best shot of success, we've got to be on their team. We just can't wait till the kid's five and then say, well, look at this, look at that. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm also excited even combining the two books because I think the books have to be used together Mm -hmm. because Busy Leader Handbooks help you look at best practices for growing your businesses. But it also, chapter one talks about, you got to look inside. So I'll finish with this. I I remember early on, um, Janet, you know, I got a note that said, you know, the problem is 70% of these women don't have husbands. They just got all, all get married. Why? Well, I said, I, I can't go out and get all these women married, you know, or, or this. And there are some racial 
things thrown at us and from poverty things thrown at us. So when I'd speak to a group, I'll say, you know, the University of Chicago did a study of 300 women. And, you know, it's interesting because these women really had very, didn't have a lot in common. There were women 16 having a baby and women 41 having a baby. There were all nationalities having babies. They were religious zealots having baby and there were atheists having babies. There were rich people having baby. There were poor people's having baby. There were people having their first kid. There were people having their sixth kid. I said they had very little in common, except they did all have one thing in common, and that is they all loved their child. And what I, I love about this, and I'll, I'll close with this, Janet, is Dana Suskin, who wrote the book, 30 Million Words. She lost her husband years ago. Um, I think her kids were probably like 10, seven, and six. He was a physician. If, they, if somebody wants to go online, they can go to Dana Suskin, S-U-S-K-I-N-D, look for husband drowning, and they will pull up the news stories. And they were on Lake Michigan, you know, not on it, but by the shoreline. Her husband noticed two children were struggling in the water. He jumped in the water and he pushed these children to safety. Mm. Then a tie, rip current took him out and he drowned. Oh, so gosh. he was pulled to the shore and Dana actually tried to do CPR and her own husband as he was dead. And somebody interviewed her and said to her, not meanly, but they said, those were not your husband's children. Why did he risk his life to save these two children he didn't know? And she said, because he thought every child is his child. And my message as we wrap up is we have to have the philosophy that every child is our child. And once we have that philosophy, every child is our child, we'll be a better school district, we'll be a better community, and we'll be a better country. Can't think of any better way to wrap it up for our audience and just to wrap our arms around that, Quint. The chronicling of just the the tidbits I know of your life is something that we can all learn from. And I think we can see the commonalities that run through that. And, um, you know, I know that you are highly driven today to give back to the community and to give back to others. Um, you've given a lot to people in your lifetime and you continue to give. And I am so personally appreciative of what you do for our community and for you. Thank you very much. Well, you know what? You and I will never agree on, Janet, who helps who the most. So thank <laughs> you. Vice versa. Thank you, Quint. Thank you. As we close today, I think you can see how much education has played a significant role in Quint's life, from the teachers that had an influence on him to give him even an opportunity to have a life path, to becoming a special education teacher and continuing to tell us that what he learned as a special education teacher and how he taught kids, he was able to transfer that into his healthcare life, into the life that he does with the work in the communities today. I know you'll, again, join me in thanking Quint for his openness to us and sharing his life. To learn more about our free upcoming virtual events like Roundtables, Destination High Performance, Quinn Essential, and What's Right in Education, visit studereducation.com slash events. Thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Performance. Please share the podcast and make sure you're subscribed. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. Look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week.